I'm Angel, passionate birth worker and podcast host of the Birth Rebel Podcast. I'm bringing you a blend of heart, soul, and a bit of controversy. Join me on my podcast where I dive fearlessly into thought-provoking discussions about the most controversial topics in pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, and postpartum. I'm unmasking the truths. I'm challenging norms and sparking conversations that matter. Let's celebrate the beauty of the perinatal space while fearlessly confronting the tough questions together. Tune in for guest interviews from health professionals leading the charge into changing the perinatal space and my own expertise in diverse topics. All right, Birth Rebel, let's jump into it. Hello, everybody. It's your host, Angel Coleman, and I'm here with another episode on the Birth Cafe podcast. And today we're going to talk about something that you have probably heard me discuss on my podcast in previous episodes, and it's the topic of skin-to-skin care. So this is definitely near and dear to my heart. I am a kangaroo. I have been trained with Dr. Nails Bergman about the importance of skin-to-skin care and kangaroo care for babies and just how important it is for them to get that care and how life-saving it is. So I actually have a special guest here to talk a little bit more about skin-to-skin care, but we're gonna talk about skin-to-skin and kangaroo mother care in regards to C-sections. And my guest is Catherine, and I'm really, really excited to have her on. She's pretty involved in our community here as we kind of get involved, more involved with skin-to-skin care. So Catherine, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me, Angel. Yeah, so I, was born and raised here in Cleveland, and I initially went to school for psychology and and minored in communication studies. After working in sales, I decided to move into nursing. I went back to school for an accelerated degree, and my passion was always to help care for mothers and infants. So I have been working in mother and infant nursing for about six and a half years now. And skin to skin kangaroo care has been a passion of mine near and dear to my heart as well for a number of reasons. First, as a nurse, just seeing the impact that that immediate or close to immediate bonding has had. And also alternatively, seeing what the delay in offering kangaroo care can really impact that for patients negatively. And it really does have negative impacts sometimes on patients' ability to not only feel comforted after, you know, carrying a baby for nine months and not being able to hold them immediately, but also the scientific inhibitions that happen. So those things that we want to see, you know, benefit-wise, we don't get to see that always when there is that separation. And then also myself, I have a almost three-year-old right now. And so I had that opportunity for skin-to-skin care pretty immediately, not not directly after birth because there was a little bit of intervention needed for my son, but pretty soon after delivery. So I had that opportunity. Now as a mother, I can speak even more passionately about it and really want this opportunity for as many mothers and babies as possible. But also as a student, I recently graduated from a doctorate of nursing program, 
where I also received my family nurse practitioner degree. And during that education, I had to develop a research project. And so I decided to do a pilot study of kangaroo care in the operating room as close to immediately after delivery as possible. So I, I've seen it as a nurse. I've seen the benefits of it. I've seen the ramifications, especially emotionally for mothers who haven't had the opportunity. And then in my own research, I know the benefits and also the lack of benefits when it's not being done. Really awesome and very cool. I love your background. Did you say you minored in communications? Is that what you said? Yes. So initially, <laughs> my first undergrad degree, I really thought I wanted to do like clinical counseling. So I chose psychology and then I graduated and felt that I really needed to start working. I didn't want to accrue a lot of loans and go back to school right away. I wanted to get a little bit of professional experience. So I ended up in sales and marketing for several years in a few different industries. And the last one before I went back to nursing was actually in insurance, healthcare insurance. And I saw a lot of small businesses really, really struggling with the healthcare costs, not only for their employees, but themselves. And I just felt I really could have a much more positive impact being on the other side of healthcare. So not the administration of it, you know, coverage, but rather helping make people's lives healthier. And, you know, psychology and communications have been a really good backbone for me, but nursing was kind of always that calling that I, I kind of just needed to go with. That's really awesome. Yeah. I was actually just talking to someone else and I was just saying like, it's really funny how a lot of us birth workers who get like really passionate about like birth and you know the perinatal world like we all go into things that had nothing to do or we had a way different journey yeah. <laughs> than we expected to because I like I had been I had mentioned to her I'm like I actually went to school for veterinary technology so I was actually not even the human species <laughs> that I was going for so yeah that's really really cool and so, you know, I find your research and the research that will, you know, come out about this topic super vital and super important. You are aware of the Cleveland Kangaroo Collective here in Cleveland. And one of our goals here is to get like, you know, mo most and pretty much all babies as much as we possibly can to just get to skin care. And we were actually going to focus our efforts first on getting babies and doing skin to skin care and the C and and then OR and during C sections because that's just not happening right in our in our area. So which is really unfortunate and it's really, really important that these babies definitely do get into skin to skin. Mm -hmm. um, so what kind of got you interested in skin to skin care? Yeah, so when I was looking at the research and preparing for my graduate project, I found a lot of information, not only in regards to benefits in breastfeeding, which is also something I'm passionate about being a labor nurse and being a mother myself. Um, there's definitely hands down a ton of benefits for kangaroo care to improve breastfeeding for both mother and baby, but also there's actually really good long-term benefits for cognitive development. 
in children and also helping set a foundation for healthy bonding between parents and children and also developing good coping skills as a child and even into adulthood. So that background I have in psychology, it has always kind of helped guide me with things that would benefit somebody's mental health. So I was looking even into how do different mental health disorders you know come about and obviously we could that's a completely separate topic in itself, but there is a lot of research that demonstrates the cognitive benefits for an infant to receive early skin to skin care. And there is one really impactful longitudinal study. It's actually just came out with the 20 year results here in 2022. And it shows a large comparison between babies that got kangaroo care in their in the postpartum phase while they were still inpatient they were all premature babies and the ones that got incubator care there's a significant difference in brain development in cognitive test scores so for me looking at some of that research and seeing that the benefits really go well beyond the infant phase and into into life really was one of the biggest draws to do this And then also just having that opportunity to really improve the experience for the the patient. So, you know, a lot of patients that have a C-section, they don't really want to have a C-section. They're laboring. They want to have that more natural experience. And then unfortunately, you know, there's certain situations where maybe there's fetal intolerance or failure to descend, you know, positionally the baby's, you know, coming down at an angle that isn't going to allow for a vaginal delivery. And those mothers are so disappointed. And really, it, it breaks my heart to have to, you know, be there with them as this, you know, experience is turning from what they, you know, had had as an ideal to turn into what they did not want. And being able to offer this intervention as a way to help bridge that gap between the two types of births was really a heartwarming opportunity for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm a two-time C-section mom with my two babies. So it's like you have this C-section for whatever reason, and then you get to see your baby for like five seconds, you know, that little one that's been growing for (laughs) seven months. And then you don't see them for like hours, especially if they need NICU care or, you know, even if they're just kind of checking your baby over, you still have to wait a little while before you can, you know, see your baby and hold your baby. So it, it does have a profound effect on moms when they're able to like, you know, even though it didn't go exactly how they want it to just be able to hold that baby that they've been, you know, wanting to see for nine months or 41 weeks and six days, (laughs) you know, just to be able to hold their baby. And that's definitely a part of a lot of, you know, Dr. Neal's work is when he's studying the the neuro effects of of skin to skin care and things like that. He calls it nurture science. So is that kind of what you're studying or is it a little bit different? So, you know, I kind of did an all encompassing review of benefits for me as a now going to be starting as a family nurse practitioner, um, helping develop healthy families is really going to be a very strong focus for me. 
And that really starts in the prenatal phase. So I wanted to take a look at all the benefits. You know, breastfeeding hands down is one of the biggest, you know, is going to be impacted very largely by this. And I definitely have a strong passion for that and like talking about that. But I want to be inclusive to families that choose not to breastfeed and also demonstrate that there's still a significant impact for the benefits that they can receive with bonding, stabilization. So both the mother and the infant, you know, can stabilize typically a little bit better unless there's some type of predisposition for the mother or the infant where they're not stable after delivery. But typically both mother and infant are going to see improved vitals compared to a group that would not have gotten this opportunity, improved lactation. For mothers, there's even been reported improved emotional state. So decreased postpartum depression, decreased anxiety, decreased experience overall in the actual OR where they're able to feel more comforted. So they're not feeling as stressed. And then, of course, we talked about the bonding already, higher satisfaction rates to these patients, you know, studies that have been done do do qualitative studies and they compare a patient's experience level who received it and who did not receive kangaroo care. And then for baby, they also have done some observational studies where the infants actually show significantly less crying in recovery and postpartum when they're being comforted this way. And then even blood sugar control can be better because infants have to come out of this safe space that they were in and they have to learn how to breathe and regulate their temperature and feed. All of that takes a lot for a baby to do. So if they have the opportunity to lay directly in a comforted area, hear their mother's heart rate, get regulated in temperature from their mother and mothers are designed to regulate their baby's temperatures. If they're able to do that, that can make their life immediately less stressful than having to try to figure all that out by being wrapped up in a blanket. Yeah. So what did you find in your research when you were studying this? Did was there yeah. anything that shocked you or surprised you? Or did it just confirm a lot of things? You know, overall, it confirmed a lot of things. I do want to kind of talk about the design of my study. So the design of my study, um, this was specifically looking at mothers with repeat cesarean. So we looked at what was the experience this time having the opportunity to do kangaroo care versus not having kangaroo care in a previous C-section. So it was a comparative study that used a mixed method research uh, methodology. So it looked at qualitative analysis, and that means we're looking at kind of the opinion. Was this a positive or a negative experience compared to last time? And then also brought in some quantitative. So there's some numbers behind it. And I used Likert scale with questions for the numbers piece. Do you think that medical staff not knowing the full importance of skin to skin care and that's why they're probably not educating the patients? I think it, I think that could be part of it. That's definitely a factor. I would say, you know, a lot of medical staff I personally work with have been 
in the industry for a while and do understand it. I think a lot of it comes down to time and responsibilities of the actual role. So, you know, as a labor and delivery nurse, if you're admitting a patient, that tends to be kind of a quick process. And a lot of the education really should be happening before admission. You know, we are educators. That's absolutely 100% always going to be part of the responsibility. Advocacy is always going to be part of the role. And that should be done. But having a background and knowledge prior to admission would really help kind of allow that patient to advocate for themselves as well, because that's really where we are with healthcare. And we've been there for a while now, where the more education that a patient has, the better. So absolutely, healthcare workers should be providing that. But if that could be provided prior to admission, that would really, I think, benefit so many people. I feel like it used to be very standard practice that patients would go to birth classes. And you really, ever since I was have been working in this um, specialty, and again, it's been a, over six years now, the majority of people that I ask upon admission, if they had prior knowledge, do not go to classes anymore. Wow. Do you think, like, so when you're asking, like, have you attended a birth class, do you just say, like, in general or, like, for this pregnancy? It's as per per pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So if it's a, if it's a second time or a third time mom, typically their answer is going to be no because they've had the education from their prior experiences, and that makes sense. That's understandable. Right. But I was I've been actually pretty shocked by a lot of new parents that have not gone or not done a lot of research or had education provided to them. I think it's something that unfortunately has started to kind of go to the wayside. Yeah, I agree. Even myself personally, you know, I took my first childbirth class when I was with baby number four. (laughs) And, and that really wasn't much for me. It was more for my fiance so that he could get more knowledge. But um, yeah, I, even as a childbirth educator working in the hospitals, our classes have been pretty small, usually just like, you know, two or three couples. And that's pretty much it. I would say maybe like, if I were to give a good guess, like of all the pregnant women that come into the hospital during labor delivery, I wonder if you have any numbers on this, but I would say almost what, like 50% go to childbirth classes. What do you think? I would say nine out of, nine out of 10 do not. So maybe wow. yeah, at least from my own personal experience with asking the question. Mm-hmm. I, I will say that part of that might be even the hospital itself really isn't offering those classes as much and the pandemic really put a real strain on that kind of thing too. We are, we did start offering them again several months ago, but the interest just isn't as high as I feel like it may have been, you know, a decade or more ago. Yeah. And the, the hospital, like where you did the study, were they already doing skin-to-skin care or was this like new for them? So they were doing skin-to-skin care for vaginal deliveries. Okay. That was very standard practice and has been for a long time. Mm-hmm. Initially, when the standard of care 
was implemented to do kangaroo care, they did have on their protocol that they were going to implement this for C-section mothers as well, but it did not come to fruition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my experience too. Like I've seen some of the protocols for some of the hospitals to implement skin-to-skin care in the OR, but it's just not being done. And in my experience, just working as a doula with moms, usually the number one, I, I guess I would say challenge is that they usually tell me like, oh, we don't have enough staff to do that. But what do you think are some of the challenges in incorporating skin-to-skin in the OR? I would say being that I understand, you know, most perspectives on this, you know, as a mother, as a, as an advocate, as a nurse myself, I would say that staffing is really one of the biggest factors here, mainly because when you're rolling out a new quality change, safety is of the utmost importance. So if you're going to change a practice, you want to make sure it's being done as safely as possible. For example, this hospital is requiring, if this happens more standardly, that it is going to require a nurse to be in the OR for the mother and a nurse to be in the OR for the infant. Because in that flat posi- more flat position for a mother, that is, makes it difficult for her to see the health of her baby. So is that baby the mouth and nose open? Is it having full inhalation and exhalation in a nice, healthy expansion that allows them to stay fully profuse so that blood is flowing nicely? Are they nice and pink? Are they struggling at all? So we kind of talked a little bit in the beginning of the conversation about transition of life. And again, that baby has to learn how to do all those things. It is not uncommon that they might experience some respiratory distress in those first few hours of life. And even for several hours of life, you can see that. So when that happens, we need to be acting very quickly to intervene and maybe even help with some resuscitative measures such as oxygen or, you know, if a baby really started to decline, they might even need, you know, more like medications and things like that. So every nurse is signed off and certified in neonatal resuscitation, which is, is great, but that means that that person needs to be readily available, at least as of now. I did a lot of research and contacting birth communities throughout the United States. I will say there are hospitals that told me that they are not mandating a second nurse be in the OR, but I think that those hospitals have also been doing it longer and it's going to take, you know, that real big learning curve to ensure that that isn't necessary. As of now, I don't foresee it being something that's going to be adopted without that second nurse in the OR. And that is that can be a very difficult challenge. As we mentioned, the pandemic really impacted healthcare on every level. It doesn't matter what specialty you're in, it impacted nurse burnout and it also impacted retention. So I think maternity nursing probably did better than some of the other specialties with regard to keeping staff, but it is something that was already a challenge. And then we, you know, felt the 
ramifications of the pandemic, losing even more interest in people coming into the field, really. Right, yeah, pandemic has done whirlwinds on the medical and healthcare staffing and professionals and things like that. So I, I even just being in the hospitals during the pandemic and being pregnant during the pandemic and seeing how much has changed <laughs> since I first had my baby versus now and how that's impacted nurses and kudos to you guys for doing what you guys do because I, I know having family in the nursing field and things like that, that it was a challenge and, you know, you know, definitely things have to, had to be modified and things like that as we were learning more about what was going on. So with the skin to skin, do you, how can parents, you know, advocate and, you know, do skin to skin with their babies, especially if we're having these staffing issues, is there anything that parents can do or that you have like recommendations for? Uh, Well, in my opinion, I really do think that this could be a movement. I think there would be an opportunity to have creative solutions on the healthcare side. It would just take a lot of reconfiguring. And that's something that obviously is on the healthcare side, but what would drive that is if more patients were consistently asking for this. Like something that I found throughout my study was that a lot of mothers were too afraid to ask for it the first time. And that's really sad. And so I would love to motivate all parents, you know, mothers, fathers, everyone to to offer this and to ask for this so that maybe with that change in the population's expectation, that could put a little bit more pressure on facilities to offer it. I would love to see this be a policy, you know, at that really high level, because if a policy was made for this, then it would be mandated and hospitals would figure out a way to do it and figure out how to do safe staffing and all of that. So that would be amazing if we could get it, you know, on the very highest level. But if not, then definitely talking about it in the prenatal period and bringing that up with their provider and bringing that up upon admission. If they knew about it sooner, they could really advocate for themselves. And maybe if staffing did allow that day, they could say, hey, you know what? This is really important to this mom. She really, really wants it. How can we make this work for her? You know, that is possible. You know, I don't want to give false hope, but I do think the more that people talk about it and ask for it and have it be an expectation, then that will drive the motivation of hospitals, especially if they provide that in feedback. You know, a lot of leadership looks at those surveys that come in from patients, you know, after their discharge. And if they were to say, you know, if they consistently are saying, I didn't have this opportunity and I really wanted it that would raise a flag. So that'd be something that they could consider doing is advocating for themselves. They could also advocate at a minimum that the partner got to do kangaroo care. So, you know, if a hospital doesn't have the staffing, they don't feel it's a safe situation, then they could say, I really want my partner to have this opportunity so that at least the baby would still benefit from having comfort. And there's still the good bonding experience. There would still be the delayed 
breastfeeding, unfortunately, but at least that baby would have the comfort of being regulated by a familiar voice and that comfort that comes with, you know, being close to their parent. Yeah. And you've touched on it a little bit, but for the people who don't know a whole lot about skin to skin, what are the short-term and long-term effects? Like if you want to go in a little bit more detail, even like based off your research, like how does this affect the baby's health? Like in the moment, like, and why is that so important? And then long-term, like how does that affect them? Yeah. So, so a couple of things I I'll first talk about that. And then I want to talk a little bit about some themes that were an outcome of my analysis. So we talked about the vital stabilization. A lot of times if the baby is stable, then they're able to have that controlled heart rate, have controlled breathing. Like I said before, their blood sugar can be stabilized because if they are breastfeeding, then they are already right there at the breast. They don't have to wait to start rooting, to start sucking and become familiar. They have to coordinate so many muscles to learn how to feed in those first few days of life. So being close to the mother and having a lot of practice in doing so makes them stronger, not only physically, but it wires their brain in a way that's also very strong and healthy. So that's a good thing too. And then again, because mom is regulating their temperature, they don't have to worry about regulating their own temperature. So as long as mom is warm, and that is that is an obstacle in the OR that I want to make sure I'm putting out there because the OR can be cold. So that's a whole nother issue about talking about possibly raising the temperature in the OR. But if mother is warm, like has the warm blankets on to her prior to the baby being delivered and then warm blankets being put over the top of them and she's able to stay warm, she's able to help regulate that temperature for the baby because babies are born without the brown fat that we have as we get older. So they don't have the fat reserve. Therefore, one of the biggest energy expenditures for an infant is maintaining their temperature. So that's going to be the one of your biggest positives that comes from that situation. And then long-term again, so having that calm atmosphere and comfort does not cause the brain to have a response, a stress response, if that makes sense. So to say it a little bit more clearly, a baby does not have to stress about things when they're with that comforted parent and, you know, hearing the voice and being warmed on their chest and then having opportunity to eat as soon as they want if they're breastfeeding. So therefore, they don't have that like anxiousness that's, that has been studied in the infants that would did not have this opportunity. So it really does set them up for healthy brain patterns throughout their life. Awesome. So that's really good information to know, especially those benefits of skin to skin care. And, you know, actually sometimes when I have, and I've had this happen to me and I've had this happen to some of the clients I work with, yes, those ORs are so freezing. <laughs> and sometimes the hospital room is too. So having that warm blanket, yes. And I've even had like a warm blanket, like a couple warm blankets, and then like one of those heat packs on top of the blanket and then another blanket on top of the heat pack so that everyone can stay warm if they're having any trouble like regulating temperature and things like that. 
And even in my personal experience with my baby number four, she, I remember them like looking her over and doing her blood sugar checks and they're like, her blood sugar is a little low. Like what's going on? Like she's skin to skin. She should be, you know, regulating that and improving on that. And the wonderful nurse, she was so nice. She looked us over and actually noticed that part of the blanket was actually stuck in between me and her. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was kind of preventing that like close skin to skin contact. Mm -hmm. So they Mm -hmm. removed the blanket and within a few minutes, like her blood sugar started regulating. So I think they checked maybe like 15, 20 minutes later and she was good. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's really incredible how effective skin to skin care is when you know when it does happen and how it helps the babies yes yeah so that first hour after birth is termed the golden hour and it really creates an opportunity for that milk to come in a lot more quicker the sooner the baby is with the mother so when they are delayed and they're naturally a little bit delayed with c-section because the mom's going through a little bit more trauma. You have issues with dehydration, you know, because you haven't been eating, you haven't really been drinking. Yes, you have IV fluids, but things are a little bit delayed when you have a surgical procedure and it's major abdominal surgery. And that's something that I want to put out there too. Mothers are expected to have this major abdominal surgery and then take care of a an infant immediately after. And, you know, it could be difficult for them to facilitate kangaroo care without the help of providers because they really are, have that limited motion, especially after having anesthesia and everything. So, you know, these mothers that got the opportunity and it was facilitated on their behalf did feel that there were benefits that they were able to identify, you know, with the improved blood sugars, less jaundice. They even some people said that they thought the temperament of this baby was improved pro- compared to their previous what the previous baby how they responded after delivery. They were all very grateful. I don't think I had one survey that didn't respond with some type of sincere thankfulness. And also, oh, I have to mention there were very large response of patients that were advocating for other patients to have this in the future, which that to me was one of the most impactful findings that they specifically said things like, do no patient should, you know, not have this experience, which was, you know, that's, that means a lot. If you, you know, you had a good experience, but if you really want this for other people that you don't even know, that's, that's a big, that's a big thing. Yeah. That's really cool. That's so awesome. And then that kind of plays into like, you know, you know, patients wanting and letting the hospital know like, hey, this is what we want and this is what we want incorporated into our care and our baby's care. So that's really cool. Do you think that this is going to impact moms like as far as like perinatal mood disorders? Do you think it actually might lower the risk for moms? Definitely, definitely. Because Something that we haven't talked a lot about during this episode, but I do want to mention is the oxytocin exchange that happens. So we talked about, you know, how that sensory with the baby against the chest can create, you know, the signal that goes to the brain that helps release more milk. But what it also does 
is it helps exchange the feel-good hormone in both the infant and the mother. So if the mother is experiencing more increased feel-good hormone, there have been studies that have concluded that this is also helping mitigate some of the postpartum mental health concerns that are out there. So not to go completely off tangent, but if that bonding exchange not only offers a mood elevation, but also offers a really strong connection to your child, that can really change the way someone mothers. And actually I did refer to that in my project. And I don't know if you've heard about it before, but Mercer's maternal role attainment theory. Have you heard of it? No, I've never heard of that. Okay. So it is the nursing theory that talks about how mothers start out in the anticipatory stage. There's four stages. So you have the first one and that's in pregnancy and they're preparing. And then you have the formal stage and that's at birth level when they deliver and they're really, really, they're dependent on the professionals to help them at this point. And then there's the informal stage and that is where they form their own judgments about how to take care of their child. And then the last stage, the fourth stage is called personal and it's the harmonization of everything coming together where the mother has confidence, competence, informs true attachment. So that's the Mercer's maternal role attainment theory. And I really did have found that to be pretty true with regard to seeing how mothers form this new role in their life. Wow, that is so eye-opening. And I never knew that this is so, I feel like I learned something new all the time. I'm really excited for your research to come out. So that we all can read it and take a look at, you know, everything that you guys have discovered. And so where do you foresee the future of skin to skin care and, and kangaroo mother care? Where do you see it going? Well, I definitely think there needs to be people like us that are going to continue to, to fight the fight for it, you know, and bring awareness and advocacy for patients and then also to help educate healthcare workers, you know, so for me personally, I am going to always be available to the hospital that offered the opportunity to do this pilot at any time they feel that they are ready to fully take it on. I will support them every step of the way and will also be more than happy to support any other facility in doing this as well. You know, I'm just one person, so I know that I can't do it alone. So really having groups and communities such as like Cleveland Kangaroo and stuff like that, that can keep kind of working towards this and maybe eventually get it up to the policy level someday. That would be my ideal scenario where we can really just make this a standard of practice, like a lot of other policies that are out there. Again, I think that having patients become more aware and really talking about it in the community can help. And as a family nurse practitioner, it's something that I will encourage with my new facility that I'll be working with. I know that they're really passionate about it. So kind of bringing this enthusiasm that I have to that organization, I hope we'll keep chipping away at it. You know, I definitely know it's not going to change overnight. And we will need to be creative, you know, as a system as to how to 
really make this work, but it's already working. There are hospitals all across the nation that are doing this standard of practice. So we really need to put Cleveland on the map and, you know, support them in whatever way we can to have this, have this happen, have this be the, just the way it is. Yeah, that that is so true and so important. And Cleveland has been on the map, at least especially when it comes to like research on a variety of different areas. And I definitely think that we can do it here in our city because you're right, it is being done in other hospitals, even maybe not in Cleveland, but even in, you know, nearby cities, <laughs> nearby mm-hmm. counties, it's getting, it's being done. So, and it's kind of hard, you know, I do the childbirth education in the hospital and one of the slides that we have and videos that we have in our childbirth education program is a mother doing skin to skin in the OR. And it's very, it's very weird and strange for me to have to say like, okay, so this is not normally done in the hospital, at least mm-hmm. here, but mm-hmm. This is something that we can advocate for. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, your research is going to definitely change things. And I know that we're already like, like working together and trying to figure out how can we do this? How can we make this happen in our community so that these moms and these babies can get that positive experience? And, and I always like to tell people that, you know, everything is so, so, so connected. When we look at the perinatal period, a lot of times we separate things. And I love that you've mentioned breastfeeding a lot because just everything just sets things up for the next thing, right? Pregnancy sets things up for birth, birth sets things up for, you know, breastfeeding and postpartum and things like that. And it all just really just flows together. It works together. And then when we take away part of those things or interrupt you know, different aspects of that process, there are negative effects to it. So yeah, you're doing an amazing job. Thank you for everything that you do. And thank you for what you do and for this opportunity to just get the word out there even more, you know, in any any way I can help people to either feel empowered to speak up or to get more information and direct them to where the evidence is and things like that, you know, more than happy to do that. I just need to kind of keep going with that, you know? Yeah. And okay. So last question for you, where can we find your research? Because I know it's not out yet, but what are we thinking? (laughs) I'm actually working with my research mentor as we speak, kind of took a little pause for the holidays and I just graduated at the end of December. So it really hasn't even been quite maybe about a month since I just had a little reprieve. I'm getting ready for board certification as we speak, but also kind of retouching base with my mentors to get this published. So hopefully we will get it into an advocacy journal. One of my mentors who has a lot of experience with the birthing community really feels that it would be good in advocacy journal. So I don't know yet where it's going to be, but I was thinking we could do a follow-up conversation as soon as I have more details on that. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And I definitely look forward to discussing more about what you're doing and your research once it comes out and we can take a closer look to at those stats and those numbers and things like that. That would be super, super exciting. So, all right. I have had so much fun chatting with you. Is there anything else that you would like to add to all this? Oh, wow. I mean, I feel like I could go on for days about it. (laughs) 
just it has so many layers and it the impact is so strong you know it i read a statistic in my studies that you know 80% of females in the world will have at least one child in their life so really this could this is a very this goes very very deep with regard to who it, it touches so i just want to really support all the mothers and their new babies as much as possible. And gosh, I can't think of one thing I would say, you know, I appreciate the opportunity and it's been fun to kind of go through everything with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like to summarize that, like you're basically creating world changing information <laughs> that can impact the health of humanity. And this is, this is really what this is all about is we're, you know, trying to put things that need to be talked about that, you know, no one really is talking about and should be and kind of having that platform to talk about it so that people can know. And you're right, skin, this is just, it, it impacts everything. And even when we talk about epigenetics and when we talk about mm -hmm. the microbiome, which I, I am like a huge fan of like talking about, it really just, it impacts generations of mm -hmm people so. absolutely you're right it's it's a cycle so what happens when we talked about like you said prenatal builds on to delivery builds on to early motherhood builds on to childhood and then adulthood and then their lot you know their families so you're yeah. right it is like an evolutionary how do we take care of ourselves how do we take care of others you know it is widespread with regard to that and like you said having this opportunity to expand the conversation is important because there is a lack of evidence out there right now with regards specifically to C-sections in kangaroo care because it isn't being studied as much. You know, there are studies out there, do not get me wrong, but the comparison between, you know, a vaginal study versus a cesarean study is pretty large, the difference there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you are definitely adding to that that pool of research we need to help change things and again just thank you so much for what you're doing Catherine. and thank you <laughs> all right so i look forward to having you back on the podcast and this is going to be a part of a skin to skin series because i'm also having madison come on and talk about kangaroo so this will be okay. <laughs> Awesome. so much fun for the uh, everyone to hear so all you guys can stay tuned as we continue the skin to skin series and i shall talk to you guys later i hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast episode but remember our journey together is far from its conclusion ensure you tap that notification bell to stay in the loop about upcoming episodes don't forget the valuable resources waiting for you in the podcast description. Also, do you love this podcast? Show your love by leaving a stellar five-star review, spreading the word across your social circles, or even becoming a listener supporter, contributing financially to sustain this podcast's existence. If a specific topic tickles your fancy or you aspire to be a guest on our show, don't hesitate to submit your ideas via the link in the podcast description. And to all you incredible women who are expecting or planning to conceive, I'm well aware that fears around childbirth can be overwhelming. 
From concerns about hospital procedures to coping mechanisms during labor, I've got your back. What's even better is that you can now access your free guide on mastering five techniques to conquer the fear of birth. As a bonus, discover a collection of mindfulness tools curated to quell anxiety and fear during pregnancy and childbirth. The guide's link awaits you in the podcast description. Live long, loud, and in prosperity, dear members of the Rebel Birth Crew. Until we cross paths again, thrive unapologetically.